This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hi, everyone. Here we are, episode 6 of 10, and this one will definitely, definitely make the most sense if you are listening to season 10 in order. That's nothing more than a gentle suggestion. If you're episode hopping and find yourself confused, just go back and catch up. It'll all make sense. Okay, in the last episode, you joined us for a weekend in Boston in early 2015, where we four hosts had gathered to meet in person and recorded an episode in the process. And I shared with you how spending that time together cemented the bonds between us and gave us an even greater appreciation for one another as individuals and as members of a team. We also hosted a group of locals, and that was so joyful. It infused future shows with energy that comes from feeling that the audience is really, really real, that they're friends. Whether you've met them yet or not yet met them, they are friends nevertheless. Later that summer, I would go on a vacation with my husband, and we would, for the first time ever, go to Europe together. I had coffee in a piazza in Rome with a listener of this show. It was absolutely an incredible gift. The four of us continued to record weekly right through the summer of 2015, and then we took our usual summer break from recording. This was when I had said fantastic experience meeting a listener who was kind enough to reach out when she heard me mention that I would be traveling in her area. When we got back from our summer holiday, we reconvened for a planning phone call in the fall of 2015. And now remember, this is pre-Zoom. So we didn't have a way to video conference from our four different locations. A four-way phone call was the height of technology, at least that was within our grasp at that time. We gathered to talk about scheduling and topics for fall when we would start recording new shows again. Now, it was a hectic time for all of us. Amanda and Catherine had new responsibilities at work. And that was demanding a lot of their time and attention. Ellie was now a single parent and beginning part-time work, still building back her life bit by bit after the devastating consequences of her relapse. Ellie had recently gotten her driver's license back, and she was working hard to keep the balance between everything she was already doing and the new things that were possible now that her freedom to drive had been restored. It would be easy to slide back into doing too much. I have not been able to drive. I lost my license for 18 months, and I got my license back on August 3rd. Very, very grateful for that. I won't lose that gratitude for the for the freedom to be able to drive. Driving is a privilege, not a right. Because I got my license back, I'm able to. I was able to start looking for a job again, and I did find some part-time work and a lot of conversations with myself about balance and self-care as part of this because. 
as I've talked about before, I definitely have a sister addiction of busyness. I just love to fill my time. Initially, when I was looking for a job, I was thinking, oh, you know, I can work full time. I'll go into the city. I'll start making more money. I had to make a really conscious choice after consulting with a lot of recovery friends, too, about how I don't need a career right now. What I need right now is a job and some structure and to get out of the house and and meet new people. And I was very lucky to find a part-time job that's only about 20 minutes from my house, and that isn't too taxing. I can turn it off and on. I don't have to bring it home with me and do work. And, you know, to really sort of find gratitude in my heart just for the opportunity to, to work. I joke about my world domination plans all the time. I mean, I have <laughs> the the mission of the bubble hour, and I love that, and it's, it sustains my spirit. But to be able to counterbalance that with basically like a nine-to-five type of job, I was laughing at myself. I got up to go to work on the first day. I'm clacking down the walkway with my heels on and my little suit on, and I'm getting in the car to drive to my job. And, you know, my heart was really full because... When I lost my license and everything looked so dark a year and a half ago, that moment was a really hard thing for me to envision, to pay my debt to society, to put my time and focus in on staying sober. I didn't view losing my license as a penance, but sort of the worst and best thing that ever happened to me because I had to learn how to sit still. I had to learn how to just be in my own skin. I had to learn how to ask for help. You know, you can't even go to the grocery store without help. It was a painful time, but also a time that I grew a lot in my own recovery and in my ability to, you know, invite other people into my life to help me. So as I was climbing in the car to trot off to my job the first day, I said some prayers to say, I hope that I can maintain balance even as these increased freedoms are coming back into my life and not get too, too busy and not lose the focus that I have right now on things that sustain me, like exercise and like spending time with my children and coaching my daughter's soccer team. And recovery meetings for me are very important. I definitely feel that tug of you should be doing more, you should be busier, you should be, I should, should, should is in my head a lot more than, than it used to be. And you can't drive. You can get that urge to go do something, and you, you can't. When I got the freedom to drive back, it became harder to just kind of be in my own skin and not worry about doing errands or running around like a nut. It's coming up on two weeks now that I've been back to work, and it's about 20 hours a week, which is just enough for now. My kids are grateful yeah. that I can still be there for them at the end of the day, and I can still get to my meetings and do things that are important to sustain my own peace of mind. I find choosing balance to be very challenging at times. My life had drastically changed also. My husband and I were now empty nesters. We had a new little grandchild, and we were transitioning our business in a way that meant a whole lot more work for me every day. All four of us hosts were tired and stretched thin, but we were very happy to reconnect in that planning phone call after our summer break. And as we started to meander through our schedules as to who was available when and who needed what time off and who would do what and what might need to change to accommodate all of these differences in our lives right now, and we started to divvy up the responsibilities for every episode, and it became very clear to us that after 130 Sunday evening phone calls to record our show, the novelty of running a podcast was beginning to give way, and we were all feeling somewhat burdened by this responsibility. We were juggling dates and topics and formats, working around everybody's needs and their limitation, and for the first time, it occurred to me that this show 
was going to run its course. The show was going to end someday. And I remember asking Ellie on that call, have you ever thought about what might be a sign that it's time to be finished? Would it be a nice round number of episodes like 150 or 200 or a drop in listenership? How do we know if it's time to think about winding down? For me, that train of thought brought a cloud of sadness over our discussion. We shifted into a philosophical talk about what was the right thing to do for ourselves and for each other. We decided that the biggest challenge really was just simply coordinating our schedules for sessions like the one we were having right then. And the problem wasn't so much the weekly hour of recording as it was the planning and production of each episode and our different ways of coming at that. Many hands make light work, but too many cooks spoil the soup. You know how much we love metaphors in recovery, right? So after considering a number of possible options, we decided that the show would go back into fall production with only Ellie and Amanda hosting in a looser format that would require less preparation and be easier and more sustainable. We just couldn't consider the idea of stopping the show. We decided to try this new way forward, and Catherine and I would be on standby to fill in if we were ever needed, but otherwise, we would be on pause as hosts, and then we'd circle back in a few months and assess if the show would continue on this way. Here's Ellie in the first episode after that decision, explaining to listeners how the show would go forward. Just to get caught up and share with everybody what the focus of our format is going to be going forward. Jean and Catherine have elected to stay on hiatus for a little bit longer. We're going to send them lots of love over the airwaves. And they're, as always, very involved with the recovery movement, as always. But you may not hear their voices on the show for a little bit yet. But Amanda and I will be here, and we will be having guests and talking about all sorts of things that are relevant to recovery. I missed the show. I missed talking with my dear friends weekly. And I missed engaging in meaningful conversations about recovery with the guests who came on the show from all over the world. I mean, those voices just were not part of my day-to-day life way up here in Alberta, Canada. But I did enjoy the free time it left me with, and I put my energy in other directions for a while. I followed the episodes that Ellie and Amanda were producing, but then I soon noticed that reruns were appearing instead, and then nothing. I waited a few weeks to see if new shows might appear, but when they didn't, I reached out to make sure everything was okay. Amanda was simply too swamped at work to make time for the show, and Ellie had meanwhile made some very hard decisions herself. Right about the time I got my license back and was very grateful to have a lot of the major losses kind of wreckage to be ironing itself out. I got a terrific job at a terrific company that was going to be 20 hours a week and a punch in, punch out, kind of get well job. And um, within three months, I had taken a promotion there and was working full time. And I was kind of doing my world domination thing where I'm taking care of two kids and I'm working full time and I have a foot in the recovery advocacy world and I was doing my jewelry and I was turning very slowly but steadily, turning the volume up again on all of the things that kind of keep me busy, almost manically busy. Mm -hmm. And I call it now my my regulation problem. I just have a (laughs) surprisingly, unsurprisingly, I have a hard time doing anything in moderation, even things that are good for me and even things that on the surface seem to be really healthy and productive. And so about six months, maybe seven months into that new job, 
getting adjusted, the kids having two different households, and the pace was just absolutely insane. I, I pretty much found myself having a complete and total nervous breakdown, even in sobriety. I mean, it was an absolute wheels coming off the bus. My anxiety and depression were through the roof. I, I couldn't function. I just woke up one day and I didn't even call work. I didn't get out of bed. I didn't go to work. I've never, even in the worst of my um, alcoholism, experienced anything where I basically just shut everything down like that and Mm -hmm. kind of curled into the fetal position and felt very sorry for myself and thought, I guess I'm somebody who just can't do things. I just can't be part of the world. And it was an incredibly, incredibly scary experience. And I was used to getting sober and rebuilding my life and working on relationships and meditation and spirituality and sobriety. I mean, I had done so much work on myself. So why am I curled up position at two o'clock in the morning, unable to function? Just very discouraging and depressing and, and really almost hopeless at the time. I have an incredible network of friends, as you all know, and they never let me stray too far in any direction from my own kind of self-destructive tendencies. And so they got me hooked up with a great program and I really had to look at my mental health issues, anxiety being number one and depression as a piece of that. I left the job and I checked out of all the other things I was doing to kind of keep busier than I needed to be. And I had to sort of surrender to mental health issues just like I had to surrender to addiction. I spoke with a mental health professional who literally put one hand on either side of my cheeks and looked me right in the face and she said, honey, If you can't get your mental health issues in order, you know, they're two sides of the same coin, mental health and addiction. One's just going to keep feeding the other, and it's either going to feed it in a negative way or a positive way, but they're two sides of the same coin. You know, I've been struggling with both for so long. I don't even, they're just sort of how I felt. I felt anxious a lot, but maybe I'm just an anxious person. I did not really understand that this was something that I had to address, not just medically, but in the way that I conduct my everyday life. So I did it again. I really pulled back. I sort of unplugged from a lot of things and took some really quiet, introspective time, did a lot of work on myself. I went to a partial hospitalization program that's an outpatient basis at a local counseling facility that dealt with both mental health and addiction and took another course after that that was another sort of outpatient course that really kind of helped me understand how these two, you know, lifelong chronic conditions need to be managed and dealt with. And one of the things that I finally realized, and it was a really, really difficult decision for me to make, is that, you know, I need to be on as stable a footing as I possibly can be if I'm going to be out in the world working with uh, people in recovery or recovery advocacy or even beloved things like the bubble hour, which I adore. It's my baby and I love it dearly, but (laughs) it is still a distraction in some ways from me really focusing on myself. And until I fully understand my own journey to the best of my ability, I'll never fully understand it, but until I feel like I've really taken some sacred time to, you know, get to know me and who I am today and all the changes that have happened to me over the last three or four years, it's really an inward, it's an inward journey for now. And so taking some time away from the bubble hour was a piece of that, as well as making recovery and self-care and my kids and family absolutely my number one priority, which is something I don't really do well. I'm pretty comfortable at the bottom of the pile. I kind of like there. I've said this before on the show, but it's amazing how if somebody showed me a picture today of what my life looks like back then, I wouldn't have believed it. I've learned over and over I can be in really hopeless, low, despairing places, and there's always something that can be changed. There's always something that can be looked at, and all I have to do is ask the right people for help and let them help me. And 
you know, that, that every single time these things happen, I learn something really valuable about myself and my recovery and my mental health and my family. You know, I don't really have any regrets. It's been a really tough journey, but each time these things have occurred, I have honestly come out um, sort of a more whole, more grounded, more authentic person. So I'm very grateful for where I am today. For the first time in my life, I really have to figure out who I am from the inside out and not based on how the world reacts to me or perceives me. And that it's that recovery of any kind is a very sacred, personal thing. I had replaced the exterior element of my recovery, you know, sort of the more public element to it with the sanctity of my private recovery. I had to look really hard at my mental health diagnoses. I had to accept them, almost surrender to mental health the same way I had surrendered to addiction. But it's probably the most important, formative, sacred time for me to sit in myself as myself and learn to love and accept me in my entirety, not just sort of picking and choosing what the world likes or responds to, but what do I like and what sort of life do I want to build? And I won't lie, it was hard. In order for me to be grounded and safe within my own self, my own recovery and my own sanity, it was important for me to focus on making everything smaller and the ways in which I help people are quieter now and they're one-on-one and in person for the most part. And that's working for me. Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles. Little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building. Take Good Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Knowing that the show was in limbo, I realized that the changes my husband and I had made to our business meant I was often working alone in what used to be a very chaotic office. The changes in my work life were stressful, but it left me with much more flexible days. I realized that if I could simply book one-on-one interviews throughout the week, I could post them as a show on Sunday night instead of recording live. I pitched the idea to the others and asked if they might want to be involved. Everyone else was ready to move on, and they gave me their blessing to try this new format and carry on alone for as long as I had the energy to do so. I was moving my company, and that's just a huge undertaking, and I just couldn't manage it. And I was so torn because 
I just think the bubble hour is so important. And, you know, I didn't want to say I wanted to step down because I wanted the show to continue on, but talk to you, me, you, and Ellie, and Catherine, and, and you said you would continue it on. And I just have to say, Jean, I can't thank you enough for Aww. continuing on the show. It's so important to so many people. I, you know, I really hesitated to step down, but, you know, you have to practice self-care. And it was, I found that it was stressing me out more than it was helping me, and that I didn't want that to come through to the listeners because that's not fair to anyone. My job is very demanding, and my recovery is still number one to me, but the insanity of how crazy my life has been for, you know, a couple of years now is... Um, it's it's all great. Everything's been going really well, but I I I don't have a lot of free time. I, I have a new job. It's a global job. I unbelievably travel even more than I used to. And I know I used to talk about travel all the time, and now it's like even more. For people who wondered, like, why doesn't Catherine participate in the bubble hour anymore? It's just a capacity issue for me. I work with three sober people as sponsees. I go to 12-step meetings every day. I do work with a sponsor. So I have a lot of places where I'm sort of plugging in um, with sober people, and I just have to sort of manage my, my calendar. I have such gratitude for you and for the Bubble Hour community for how you've you've helped me over the years, and I just, I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you. And so I was on my own, producing and hosting The Bubble Hour. This was an intensive period of training for me where I had to learn how to run the controls that Amanda had been managing all these years, take over all of the registrations for feed, website, social media, email, audio files, blog, everything. It was a steep learning curve, and I was on a first-name basis with the Blog Talk help desk for a while there. But soon I launched season five, a massive shift in the podcast, where the focus came more squarely onto the story of one guest, while I demonstrated the power of holding space, allowing moments of total silence, and that resulted in a less social but more immersive experience for the listeners. Robin, welcome to the show. Hi, Jean. Tell us about yourself and how you came to be a person in recovery. I knew, I knew, I am thinking every swig I take, and I do mean swig, I was not using wine glasses. These were water goblets, and this was not sipping. But I really did wake up May 18th and say, I'm done. (laughs) And I didn't, I have not looked back. Sasha, welcome to the Bubble Hour. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. Before we have you talk about what your life is like now, let's hear about what got you here, why you're in recovery in the first place. It was evident that I had a problem with drinking and using drugs from the moment it started. I was so uncomfortable in my skin, and I needed a buffer. So when I found drinking for the first time, when I sipped alcohol, I immediately loved it because it gave me the illusion of safety and confidence. My, my self-esteem was so low, but when I drank, all of that went away.
John, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Glad to be here. I'm a Bubble Hour fan. Uh, <laughs> I've been sober since May 29th, uh, 1989. To me, I was never quite that bad. In reality, is I was very bad. I wasn't doing. I wasn't doing well at all. My name is Chakasha K. Ellis, and I am a woman in long-term recovery for 10 years. Certain situations that we encounter in our lives can kind of change the whole path. It's like a train on a track, and you kind of become derailed from one simple thing that happened, and you were just unaware. I had a great job as a behavior specialist, and I was working with at-risk youth and also youth with behavioral health issues. At my job, one day I fell. I wound up having to get a meniscus repair surgery, which after the surgery, a doctor gave me a prescription for a medication called hydrocodone Lorset. And after my knee surgery, I had quite a lot of pain. So when I started taking them, I noticed within a short period of time that I just felt happy on this medication. I wasn't in a situation where I was self-medicating from anything. Everything was great in my life, but I liked how motivated I felt when, when taking it. And this medication took away my pain. I started noticing some things about my body that was pretty different. I don't know where that came from because I never did any type of narcotic in my life. So I started taking more. What I didn't know is that I was in the early stages of an addiction, substance use disorder. I was thinking about my medication all the time, and I was putting it as a priority. Fast forward, my life spiraled out of control, and I would say between the year 2000 all the way up until 2009, my life turned upside down. I kind of knew that I had a problem when I started feeling sick from not having the medication, but I did not know that was called withdrawal. Unbeknownst to me, I was in a web I, I didn't know. There are so many Americans struggling with addiction that are functional. Women that are great moms, the kids are in college. I had to kind of save myself. I, I had an epiphany, an aha moment. I said, God, please help me because nobody knows what I'm dealing with. And I need help and nobody understands what I'm dealing with. And I'm, I am addicted and silent. So I realized that on that day, I made a step. I stepped out of faith. Recovery is so possible. All you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. You need that tiny bit of faith to say, I'm helpless. I can't live like this no more. When I made that decision, it saved, I saved my life that day. Today's guest joins us from Ireland. Hi, Breed. How are you? Hi, Keen. I'm brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be on the Bubble Hour. Oh, I love how you say Bubble Hour. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> from pretty much the very beginning, I was a blackout drinker. Not every time, but more often than not, I would blackout. I started to drink more at home and wine became a thing. It was around that, you know, Sex in the City, Bridget Jones type time. And I suppose it just became a thing to drink wine at home. But what I probably didn't realise at the time was that I was drinking a lot more wine at home, I think, than other people were. Inevitably, an, a night out would end up in either a grey out, which is what I call when you 
can't remember parts of the night or it's vague or else it would be a full-on blackout. And there were times when I lost, you know, hours of my night. Ireland is just absolutely steeped in alcohol. Everything we do, you know, is surrounded in alcohol. I knew that, that I had a problem with alcohol, but I had this really egotistical idea that I was going to control this thing. You know, even though I, I, had, I proved to myself time and time again that that wasn't the case, on the outside, everything looked more or less perfect. But I knew inside that it wasn't. I had this feeling of like, there must be other people out there like me. And today we have a listener. He first wrote into the show three years ago didn't hear from him again for a while. And sure enough, a few years later, he wrote back and said, guess what? I did it. I'm doing it. I'm living this life. Hello, Brandon. Thank you so much for joining us and telling us your story. Hello, Jean, and hello, listeners. 2015 is when I started to first, I guess, look into this and say, you know, you know, what can I do? I obviously have a problem. I emailed you and I was looking at resources. I could never really get over that hump fast forward another another whole year goes by another year goes by during this time every 10 days or so a blackout every 30ish days fight of some sort with my spouse whether it was you know an alcohol infused argument or it was an argument about alcohol and what it was doing to me got a reputation and in certain circles I was always the guy for a good time I was always the guy that was going to stay out late I was going to have one more I was going to close down the bar I didn't want the night to end so all of the the one-day-at-a-time adages, they're absolutely 100% true. Think about all the positive things that you can do. So focus on the positives. Focus on all the good in your life. If it can be achieved by people like me and then like all these other guests, it can be achieved by you or by anyone. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you, Jean. This is definitely out of my comfort zone. I've gotten so much out of this podcast. If this is useful for anybody who listens to it, I'm, I'm thrilled. It was so funny because I found the Unpickled blog of yours, Jean, was the first thing I found that I read that I really identified with. I started finding all of these places where people were getting sober without having hit some rock bottom. And so I started realizing that I wasn't really alone in this and I didn't need to wait until something terrible had happened in my life to turn this around. I'm going to turn the mic over to you, Kathy. Tell us about yourself and tell us your story. Thank you, Jean. It really is my pleasure. I decided to stop drinking on the 4th of July. I found the bubble hour and listened incessantly while gardening, doing projects around the house, and while driving. Jean, your soft, kind voice and the stories of your guests were just what I needed. I related to so many of your guests, and I learned so much from the experts you've had on from time to time. It has now been two years and four months, and I am not tempted to drink. When I say I'm not tempted, I mean I don't crave it. It scares me to imagine what could happen to me if I started drinking again. 
especially since I live alone. This is what's helped me to stop drinking. Having the experience of stopping and then starting back up taught me I couldn't moderate. Plus, it took so much effort to stop. I don't ever want to have to stop again. Jean, when I found the bubble hour, I felt like I had come home. I needed a supportive environment, not a shaming one. Being okay with feeling pain, sitting in it for a little while, and not having to make it go away. Then I do my best not to stay below the line by reaching out for support, reading, watching movies, or doing yoga. Jean, I can't express how grateful I am that I found you and your podcast, and I thank you for this opportunity to tell my story. Help others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope. The audience was kind enough to give me a chance. We all seemed to understand together that the changes the show was undergoing were really the result of a spirit of service and dedication and heartfelt affection for the platform and the history of the show. I'm so grateful that I was given the space to accommodate these shifts and that listeners kept coming back and the show continued to thrive and grow. And that meant a lot to me. And what meant even more was that the audience still included the other co-hosts, too. I was driving home and I'm like, I should listen to the bubble hour and catch up on it. And I have to tell you, you're doing an awesome job, Dean. I've listened to, I listen every day on my way home. And I just love it because when we were on the show, I never listened to the show. I didn't want to hear myself talk. I loved listening, listening to you guys, but I didn't want to hear me. I think we all said that. None of us listened to the show. It's, it would be like having a conversation and then playing it back. We've already had the conversation. So yeah, I don't usually listen back to it. Well, that's so funny. So now the bubble hour is a patch in your patchwork. <laughs> it is. It is. I just love it. I'm an avid fan and listener. I think what you are doing with the show is absolutely amazing. And I'm beyond grateful that you are able to carry the flag and do such an unbelievable job with the show because it would be really, really heartbreaking to me if, if you know, my own need to step away would put, put the show to bed. So thank you, first of all, for all the hard work you're doing. You're amazing. And I'm just so grateful for that. Now, I recall thinking when I embarked on this solo mission <laughs> that I would just round out the number of episodes, that I would revisit my decision at milestones along the way. 200 episodes seemed like a nice round number, but if I got tired at 175, I'd stop at 175. Well, 200 shows came and went, and I was loving the experience of connecting so deeply with guests. I checked in with my heart regularly, trusting that when it was time to be done, I would know. I would just know. But meanwhile, I'd continue. And continue I did. For another six years... And another 
200 plus episodes. Coming up on the next episode, we'll look at a strange email I received and the impact that it had on the bubble hour. All that and more in episode seven. It's right here when you're ready. So come on back and listen soon. Until then, my friends, take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on me. Just want to